Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew 18. We shall be looking in verse 23 and following. In Matthew 18, Jesus is giving many statements, many teachings about how to live in the kingdom of God, how to live in the kingdom of God if somebody sins against you, if somebody moves away from the church, if somebody um, does things that you do not like. It all seems to start in 18.1 when the disciples, and this is after Jesus has taught about the uh, coming to the uh, cross and how things are uh, going to go in that direction, and they decide to debate as to who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, that after everything is done and all these disciples are in heaven, they think, they are discussing who is going to be the ruler of heaven out of this group because clearly they are special, and Jesus corrects that view. Then you come to verse 21, and Peter comes and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or some translations say 70 times seven. This is a, Jesus is not saying 77. He's not saying 490. He is not saying that there is a number and that we need to keep a pad of paper. And as people sin against us and I forgive, I say, okay, that's one, that's two, that's three. And when I reach 491, then I say, I can stop because you are clearly just a sinner and I don't have to forgive you. This is a, this multiplying what somebody says is a Greek literary device. It's a Greek idiom. It's a way of saying and a million to whatever somebody says. You know, you get a three-year-old involved and you say a number and they want a bigger number, they'll say, and a million. And this is the same sort of thing is that Jesus is saying, whatever number you think of that is a normal way, number, number of times to forgive somebody who sins against you. And the, the idea here is it's the same sin that the person is committing against you, that somebody out there just does the same thing that annoys you, that is wrong every time you meet them, how often do you forgive them, whatever number you have in your head, you need to multiply that and keep multiplying it and keep multiplying it. And Jesus' answer to Peter is a parable, and the parable It starts in verse 23. It is a parable about forgiveness. Now, if you want to know about forgiveness, you can get on the interwebs and you can type in forgiveness and everybody has an opinion about forgiveness. There seems to be programs in the millions 
to teach you how to forgive because not only in Christian circles, but in the world, in secular circles, people realize that unforgiveness, that if I am holding a grudge, unforgiveness is known as holding a grudge. If I am holding a grudge, it is doing more damage to me than it is to you. Somebody, some people say it's Mark Twain, other people say they don't know who said it. Holding a grudge is like me drinking poison hoping it'll kill you. Okay? It is much more damaging to me than it is to you. In fact, I've known people, I've read about people, I've heard stories about people who held grudges since elementary school and the other person has no clue what's going on. They have no clue, but a person seems to be ruled by their hatred and unforgiveness of what happened in the fourth grade. And so there is all manner of books and podcasts and movies and articles and letters and things you can buy and things you can rent and things you can see online to tell you how to forgive and the benefit of forgiving. And this is all good because the idea of forgiving one another is a Christian idea. If you look at the context of this passage, it is entitled, The Kingdom of Heaven May Be Compared To. It is also Jesus talking with the Twelve. This is not a Sermon on the Mount section. This is a Talk to the Twelve privately section. And so, this is a parable for Christians. This is a parable for believers in God, for believers in Jesus Christ, and it is about forgiveness. And so, what is the parable? The parable says there's a king who wants to settle accounts. Now, in ancient times, just like modern times, you have people who work for the king. You have people today who work for the government. You have the people in Washington, D.C. who want to collect taxes, and they will not come knock on your door saying, give me your taxes. They do not do that to all 340 million of us. They hire people for the IRS and the Franchise Tax Board, and they go and they collect the taxes. Now, back in Jesus' day, all money was physical. Okay? Today, you can write a check. Today, you can get on PayPal. You can get on Venmo. You can send money anywhere. And the money doesn't really exist, really. It's just numbers in a computer. But back in Jesus' day, if you paid taxes, it was a coin. It was a set of coins. It was a weight of gold. It was a weight of silver. You had to give them physical things. And so the estimate is that this person who needs to give money to the king was one of these collectors of funds. He was perhaps a tax collector. He was perhaps somebody who managed the sale of some of the king's things. This person had physical money that belonged to the king. And then once a week, once a month, once a quarter, the king says, time to settle accounts. And so he has his ledger person, his accountant, open the books and they call in the first person, and the first person owes the king 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is a large amount. 
every commentary you read on this will try to put a modern value on this. Some people say it's about 11 years worth of wages for an average person. Some people say, nah, because talent is a weight. Talent is a weight of value. Today we say gold is so much per ounce, silver is so much per ounce. They would back then say a talent of gold is worth so much, a talent of silver is worth so much. And so it is a weight, and if people look at Solomon's uh, income was given in talents back in 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and so they kind of add that and they say, no, 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 today's value, this 10,000 talents, is $9 billion. Then you open the next commentator and gold has gone up since that was published, and they say, no, it's $35 billion. It is some unimaginable, large, unpayable amount. There is a word in Greek which literally means countless, unable to count. And that is the word that is applied to this in the original Greek text. We would say it's infinite. We can use words like infinite today. The Greeks were just trying to figure out how to use infinity in math, but they hadn't quite done it at the time of Jesus, apparently. And so we can look at it, and because we know big numbers, we can say, you know, 100 billion zillion. We can make up these numbers all the time, and we say it is an unpayable amount. There is no way that this guy could store that much money in his house and could pay this much to the king it is an unpayable amount. That is what we have to realize of what is being said. This person actually physically owes, and, and people who have speculated look at this and say, yeah, he was probably a tax collector that never turned over any taxes. He's been a tax collector for 20 years for the government, and he's kept all the money himself. That would be an unpayable amount. That would be an amount that you cannot imagine paying. It's like you get a bill from the IRS for $100 trillion. And you say, ah, I give up. And you move to Cuba or something. Because you can't pay that much, you know. you got to call them and you got to say whatever. And so it says, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Of course, this would not be a full payment. The king is talking about selling his whole family into slavery. And the way this would work is that they would be sold into slavery, and as they earned money or as they worked, that money would be put against his account that was owed. In other words, as a slave... This person and his family and his kids would work for the rest of his life to pay off this debt. And at the end of his life, if you did an accounting, it would not be enough. And so what does he do? He falls on his knees. He implores him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, which is a lie. He knows this is an unpayable amount. And out of pity for him, the master forgave him the debt. He says, now you did owe me $100 trillion, but now you don't owe me anything. I have forgiven your debt. 
And he goes, woo, you know, and he leaves. And he goes and he finds somebody who owes him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii, a denarii is a day's wage. If you worked for a day, you would get a denarii coin, is how it worked back in those days. And then you would go to the market, you would buy food for the evening meal, you would go home, you would eat it, and if you had any change left from that, that would be your savings. So 100 denarii is about three months, okay, is estimated. It's, uh, you know, you could do it. You could figure it out. You could say, I could do this on a payment plan. I could only be paid every other day. I could figure out how to do it. This is a manageable amount is what this is saying. You have an unmanageable, an unconceivable amount. Then you have an understandable known amount that could be paid off. And the guy says, no, I'm going to seize him, and I begin choking him. Now, if you look at that, you go, that's kind of harsh. You know, why do you choke people? If you've ever seen a movie, read a book, or anything about organized crime, crime during the 1950s, 1920s, you, you, there's movies about loan sharks and there's movies about people that if you owe them money, either through gambling or either through borrowing from them and you do not pay, then it is known, it is idiomatic in our culture, they will break your legs. You've heard that before, they will break your legs. They might break your nose. The famous phrase, I will rearrange your face, they say. These are things that Jimmy Cagney said and things like this in these movies when they're hurting people saying, I want to hurt you so that you will understand the value of payment, but I won't kill you because killing you means you couldn't get paid. There are writings out of ancient Rome. People wrote fiction back then. People wrote historical fiction. People wrote uh, historical reports. And it seems back in ancient Rome, if you owed me money and you weren't paying me, I choked you. That is how they did it. Today we break legs. Today we break noses. Back then, they would actually choke you, and they would choke you until you lost consciousness. And that's a, I guess that's a balance between teaching somebody a lesson by cutting off their oxygen or killing them. And so the idea is this is normal. This is what everybody did back in the day if they were owed money is you choke people. Eh, times change. Now we break legs and things like this. And the person says, I can't pay. He falls on his knees and he says, give me pity. The exact same thing that the first guy did to the king. Okay, he's done to the second guy. And he says, no, I will not have pity on you. And he sells him and all of his kids and all of his stuff into slavery so that he can get some of the money back. He says he will put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And some people say, well, you, you can't earn money in prison. Well, prisons have changed. Back before cruel and unusual punishment was a thing, you would actually be put in prison and you would be put to work. And the jailer would have an accounting of how much you owed. You would become an indentured prisoner, so to speak. 
And you would work and all of your wages would go to pay your debt. And then when your debt is paid, you would then be freed. If you've ever seen or read A Christmas Carol, a great uh, story of Christmas and ghosts and things, some people are coming to Scrooge and saying, give us donations for the orphans. This is how Scrooge is first introduced. He is saying, I do not want to give money to the orphans. And he says, are there not prisons? Are there not workhouses? And that just goes by us today because we don't think about these things. These things don't exist anymore. But back in the time of Scrooge, back in that time, you would put kids into prison to earn a living, to work, to be protected. You would put kids into sweatshops, workhouses, to earn money, to be protected, they would think. So you, you earn money even as a child in Scrooge's mind through these organizations and these sorts of things existed in Roman times where you could go to prison to, you know, you would make stone license plates. You would make something and then your hourly wage would be deducted from your account. And so he goes to prison, and other people who work for the king see this, and they're aghast. So they go and they talk to the king, and they say, the person you forgave the huge amount did not forgive a little amount. And so the person is brought back to the king. The king calls him a wicked servant. And he puts him in jail. It actually says in the King James, I will hand you over to the torturers. It says that in King James, it says jailers in ESV. And the idea is you're going to be forced to work hard. You're going to be in hard labor in this prison until such time as you pay it all. And then Jesus says, the moral of the story, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now this is a, this is amongst Christians. This is not a salvation parable. Okay, the person who owed the great debt, who was put in jail, did not lose his salvation. Okay. This is not a, the king is saving or condemning people. This is only about our debt owed to God. What is our debt owed to God? Our debt owed to God is sin. I was listening to a, a sermon some time ago in which they said, if you hear the word sin, you've got to be thinking about wages. Sin is a monetary exchange device. Every time we sin, we sin against God, we create a debt to God. We owe God for our sin. Our, our sin may be about, we can look at it as we need a large amount of money to pay him or we need to be uh, physically condemned. In the Old Testament, if you had a sin against God, the death of an animal, the death of a lamb at Passover, the death of a goat at Rosh uh, Yom Kippur, uh, were things that God accepted as payment. You need, God needs a payment for our sin. When we sin, we create a debt between us and God, and the more we sin, 
And if you've started sinning the moment you took your first breath, and then wherever you are today, the debt is large. The debt is unpayable. There is not enough animals in the world. There are not enough altars in the world for you to systematically pay off your sin to God. It is unpayable. It is a hundred million gazillion dollars. It is a hundred trillion dollars. It is the biggest debt that anybody can manage. And if this person who is the king is God, God sees our debt, and God, through the blood of Christ on the cross, forgives our debt, removes it. We no longer owe the debt to God. Our debt is clear. We have words like we are redeemed, we are bought out of our debt, things are paid to remove the debt, we are debt-free, we are guilt-free, we are, as a responsibility for our sin to God, all that is removed. Until such time as we meet God face to face and we're all perfected and the uh, work of Christ who got us there then our sin nature will be removed, and only there, only in heaven, at the end of all this, will we stop sinning. Until that time, we are a sinful group. We are a sinful people. The world, people of this world are a sinful people. And so, <clears throat> what this is saying is, God has forgiven your sin. And it's a huge debt. It's an unpayable debt. You can't pay it. If you are saved, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you are saved from your sins, God has forgiven your debt, and it's huge. Therefore, when this person or that person on earth offends you, we need to let it go. We need to let it go because we are comparing how hurt I was to how God was owed. We can't really hurt God, but we damage our relationship with God. Now, I've told people that. I've told people that for decades. Just let it go. Don't pay it no mind. And there are people whose first word out of their mouth is, but, because they will say, I have no idea what this person did. I have no idea how hurt they are. I have no idea how their unforgiveness is appropriate because of the damage that was done some time ago. And I say, true, I do not know. Okay? God does. And what God is saying in this parable and the rest of Scripture, we always compare the hurt that we've suffered to the hurt we put on Christ on the cross. Remember, if you did not sin, if there's no sin in you, you are not responsible for Christ on the cross. But there is sin in you, and there's a lot of sin in all of us. We are responsible for putting Christ on the cross. Okay? So we need to say, okay, this person...
great damage emotionally, financially. I need to compare that to the damage I did to Christ on the cross. And I need what I owe God because of my sin and what he forgave through the cross versus what this person owes me, but I'm not going to go. People sin against you, annoy you, offend you, bother you, hurt you all the time. That is what the human condition on this planet is, is that we don't get along. Okay, We're supposed to love people and trust God. It's great. In practice, I'll love people and they'll hate me. That's just how it is. But I still love people. Christ loves people that hate him. Hey, so we can love people that hate us, but people who hate us can hurt us. This is about Christians, and this is about Christian attitudes. This is in the church, okay? It doesn't give you license for holding a grudge against an unsaved relative, okay? Unforgiveness generally is bad all the time. But if it breaks relationship in a church because of unforgiveness, that is where it is wrong. That is where it is a sin. Now on July 19th, homeless guy, his name is Charles. I can tell you that because it's public record because he's been arrested. Homeless guy comes into the church, hits me right here. Okay, enough to knock me down. And it has been, I don't know, black eye lasted, what, three weeks? Uh, jaw is still trying to get back into being lined up right. Uh, concussions over, the nose is healed. The day after, July 20, I got out of the emergency room that night and I go home and I wanted revenge. Some people have said, how do I know if I'm unforgiving? And I said, if you think about that person and you want revenge, <laughs> then you are unforgiving. Revenge comes out of unforgiveness. Revenge comes out of I'm better than you. Now, what this parable tells us, the reason this person who got forgiven is so wrong is that God said, I forgive you, and he said, I'm above God. God said, let it go. He said, I'm above God. I'm going to have different rules than God has for himself. And that's why it is a sin to have unforgiveness. So July 20th, I was feeling pretty bad. I was in a lot of pain, and I felt that the person who hit me should also experience pain. Okay? kind of how I was thinking. Uh, I couldn't enact revenge. Nobody really in this world who has revengeful thoughts can enact it, but we dream. We think, you know, I would like this. I will, you know, make a little Play-Doh sculpture of him and crush it or something like that. And I went to bed, you know, thinking about this. And I wake up on the 21st and... First thing I did is God brought me to a point to pray for his salvation. So my unforgiveness, my revenge thoughts lasted about a day and a half, which I praise God for. I mean, I could still be bummed out about this whole thing. 
But I began on the 22nd of July to pray for his salvation, because I don't know. He's clearly on drugs. He's clearly messed up because of his desire for drugs. Um, so I don't believe he has an active relationship with God. So I pray for his salvation. I pray for somebody in prison to come to him, whether it be prison fellowship, missionaries into prison, or a prisoner, to come and share with him, give him a Bible that he may be saved, that I may consider him a brother in Christ, because I don't think he is now, that's just a guess. And so I, it is possible, I am not a superhuman, yay, look at me, okay? I pray about everything that happens to me. If it comes to me and it impacts me in the day, I journal about it, then I read my journal and I pray about it because I want to have the right reaction, I want to have the right response to the things that happen to me, and I don't want unforgiveness, revenge thoughts, grudges to last. There is a shock value if uh, you know something happens. When we lived in San Jose, our house is broken into. Okay? Major violation, you know, I feel, oh, I'm so vulnerable because our house is broken into and watches and money were stolen. Things like that, compare them to what happened on the cross. You can list any offense that has come your way, any hurt that has happened in your mind, in your body, in your psyche, anything. We need to learn how to compare that to what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. And the, the point is, it won't compare. That Jesus Christ taking on all the sin of everybody, all at once, and God's penalty, the wrath of God being a fire hose against Jesus Christ, there is nothing that happens to us that even comes close to that. And so we think, and the teaching of this passage and the rest of Scripture is, God forgave me this huge debt. I can forgive you this little debt. God forgave me this massive debt that I can't pay. I can forgive you I don't know, fairly big debt, still doesn't compare. I can forgive you all sorts of stuff. It has taken me, you know, you go July, August, it's over a month, and my jaws still aches when I eat, okay? But I still pray for that guy every morning that he may accept Jesus Christ, that he may get saved. And if God says to me, the deal is, you will have an achy jaw for the rest of your life and I'll save him. I will make that deal. I will pay any price. I will pay any pain to have that one guy accept Jesus Christ so that I will see him in heaven. That is the deal I make with God. That is the deal I make with you that we need to understand we are a loving family that will hurt each other, that will bother each other, that will annoy each other. None of it compares 
to what Jesus Christ is doing. And the most important thing that can happen to anybody on this planet is that they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior so that I will see them in heaven and for eternity I will be his brother singing praises to God for all eternity. And the hurts of this life will just disappear if we're in the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we live in a hurtful world. I pray that you would give us understanding, that you would give us guidance, that you would give us knowledge of how to let things go because they do not compare to what you have done. Lord, we just praise you for the truth of your forgiveness. Help us to understand the weight that you forgave, that the massive amount of sin that you have forgiven, and that through that knowledge, we can forgive others that do small things against us. Lord, we praise you for this, and we ask your blessing on the meal that is to come and on the remainder of the day. We ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.